Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DigiTalks podcast. This is a fun one today because I'm joined by another Natalie. So you've got Natalie and Natalie. Hello. <laughs> today I have Natalie Renner, Director at Mercy Me Marketing. With over 22 years experience in advertising, Natalie is the Director at Mercy Me here in Adelaide, representing both local and national clients. With both expertise in traditional and digital, Natalie is passionate about the importance of a well-rounded campaign and loves to make some noise. Having built her team here at Mercy Me over the past 10 years, Natalie is not only a skilled marketer, but is a mentor who I know will have some amazing gems to share with us. So thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Take me back to 2001 Rundle Street. I think that's where I really want to start with you. You know, I'm glad that you do because 2001 Rundle Street was very much Mad Men. I don't know, most people in marketing and ads have watched Mad Men before. And it was exactly that. It was jumped in overwhelmingly into this space of smoking cigarettes at your desk and schmoozing clients. In 2001? In 2001. Yeah, still still going, still like that. That's wild. It was wild. I was also like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, what? Straight from uni into that kind of space. But it was, it was so eye-opening. It was massive. Yeah, it was very much like that. We had these majority male clients. Probably 90% of the clients I looked after were male. So it was lots of schmoozing, lots of going out for drink. I learned how to drink very quickly. <laughs> it's a skill. <laughs> and a huge part of, of what we did was, was that, was in the entertainment side of it. We had to take them out for these long, long boozy lunches and functions. And it was fun. It was great fun. But then you also had to do all the work after that. Yeah. But it was a huge eye-opener. So 2001 was very much still traditional, obviously, traditional media, traditional space. We're talking about print, TV, radio. We're all king at the time. My first client was a national franchise home company. And my first job was Tear Sheets. So it was national advertising, print, TV, radio campaign. And I was responsible for finding every single advert that ran in every single paper nationally and literally tearing out the tear sheets, which I think... How tedious. Yeah. Guys today wouldn't have a clue what that even meant, I suppose. But it was brilliant because it gave me an idea of, you know, ad sizes and modules and what a four by one looked like and what mono versus full color, all stuff that, you know, at the time was boring. But now I'm thankful for because I think I've got that background knowledge of that a lot of people probably wouldn't have. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think understanding how the different placements and different sizes can have different impact. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. What was probably your biggest learning from that time when you reflect? There's so many, so many learnings. I think I think the biggest thing then was even when you think you've checked and triple checked something. Check it again. Check it again. <laughs> check it again. Because there was no, it's not like digital now. Like it was traditional media. So when it went to print, it went to print. Yep. And you typos know, and all. Typos and all. And so many times that did happen. And it's on you. Yeah. Who signed off on it? Who approved it? The client approved it, but you cross-checked it. It was your responsibility. So that was very overwhelming and daunting. And deadline, like we couldn't change it. It was done. TV commercials, same kind of thing. I mean, it all went through CAD. Yep. commercial advice. So many different people are looking at it. So many people are checking it, but still it's your your fault at the end of the day when something like that happens. And it's embarrassing, right? 100%. It only happened to me once and never happened again. <laughs> well, that, but that's it though. Like it's almost like a little bit of a baptism of fire in a way. Like don't you make that mistake once, whereas you're exactly right now. Hey, if there's a typo on that social post or that ad, we can change it. Yeah, edit, right? Um, there's also yep. Grammarly. We love Grammarly. Mm-hmm. So the 
need for ownership on those types of things, I think is probably not as big of a... Yeah, exactly. There's more room for error now than there ever was before. But, you know, it also, I'm thankful for it because it made me so much more thorough on everything, so... Oh, I'm def- I would have no doubt that it's made you a more detail-oriented person than you yeah. probably already yeah, were. Definitely, definitely. When did you start to feel the push of digital? Not until, honestly, probably not till 2015... 2000, no, not even. The The real push in digital was probably more like 2017. Yeah, definitely. okay. I think digital came in, what was it, 2003, 2004, when it started really infiltrating. But 2016, people were starting to have their Instagram pages and their Facebook pages yeah. and all that kind of stuff and the YouTube channels. But I remember so many clients saying to me, oh, there's no reason for us to change our marketing strategy. We keep doing what we're doing. The phone's still ringing. We're still getting leads. We're still getting sales. We don't need to worry about this stuff. What, what, what even is it anyway? Mm-hmm. Nobody really was too concerned about it or thought that they needed to have it as part of their marketing mix. And it wasn't until, yeah, I think the bigger companies did really get in very quickly. And it was fascinating to watch the creatives that they brought in with their digital strategies. But the smaller companies that we looked after... Um, not till 2017, really. 2018, they went really hard with it then. And they started realising that, oh, you can actually make sales from digital platforms. Yeah. All these other things, this targeting that you could do that we didn't have before and realise the opportunity and the strength of it then. Yeah. It's funny because it was almost like that old crap moment when they went, oh, everyone else is doing it. And yeah, I actually can get results from it. It's not just a thing to have Exactly. It's funny because, you know, you look at you look at that time and there was chalk and cheese, the businesses that were doing really, really well on social and the businesses that just had the lights on. I feel like the landscape is a little bit less, I guess, great and average. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's kind of most people sit at that average. Now, very rarely will you see a business whose social or digital presence is really, really average um, yep. because it's just a necessity now. It is. It is. And I think the... The time that's put into it now, like we we would do back in the day, in, in, it sounds like I sound like a dinosaur now, no. right? Like that, that before digital, we would sometimes have weeks or months to create a campaign and a campaign strategy and a creative. And we'd have like the copywriter from New York or we'd have, you know, um, really cool different departments and different people all involved in this one campaign. And there was storyboards. If, Love it. You know, all of that stuff. And you'd pitch it to the client and you give them the different options. Now you're putting together a campaign sometimes hours in hours. And you're responsible for the entire thing. Mm. It's not like you've got your different departments and different divisions. It's like you've got to do the copy. You've got to do the creative. You've got to do the graphics. You've got to boost it. Mm -hmm. You've got to implement it. You've got to make sure that it's going across multiple platforms. And that's what people expect. Yeah, and it works. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like these bigger campaigns, you know, back in, you know, early, earlier days. Those days. You had time. Yeah. People respected your time. They respected your skill set. I feel the, you know, you you hit the nail on the head. I feel the issue now is you're expected to be able to do everything. And, you know, this is where I feel for people coming straight from uni. Talk about pressure. Yeah. Because you're not just a marketer. You're not a qualified marketing graduate anymore. You're expected to be a marketing graduate as well as a graphic designer, as well as a digital strategist, Mm -hmm. as well as a number of other things, copywriters. And and who is? Nobody actually can do all of that and do it. I mean, some people can. There are a few unicorns around. But I'm definitely not. (laughs) I I surround myself with people. Yeah. And so I have a team of people and each of them specialize in something different because we can't do it ourselves. Unfortunately, the way digital kind of uh, the digital environment is now, 
is that even though you need all these specialised people that are so good at what they do, the client doesn't want to pay the budget for that either. That's the problem. It's the budget, the budget issue. And what I really like, I'm really excited to dive into with you is like, you know, you look at the budgets you were dealing with when it was radio, print, TV. It was huge. It was no, no, no one batted an eyelid, right? Now, 50 bucks for a paid promotion. Oh, I don't know. We had 1.5, I remember one of the budgets I had was 1.5 mil for the year. Like, here's our budget for the 12 months. We want TV, we want radio, we want press. Put together a proposal. It was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. We can actually, you know, do, do something, something amazing. Now, you're right. It's, it's a 12-month budget is maybe 30K, 35K. If, if you're lucky. lucky. If you're lucky. Then plus your retainer or your monthly marketing, whatever it is that you charge to actually do the work, which because they're already spending 35K on an ad spend, you're like, oh, how can I charge them an extra grand or two grand a month to manage this for them? But also you want, what was, we used to say in real estate, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Exactly. There is the, the price the price conversation is an issue in marketing, again, because we are not a governed body. There's no textbook as to how to structure your pricing, how to structure your packages. No. And as an agency, where do you start? I think for us, I find the clients that we have that are e-com clients, it's so much easier to show your value because there's a direct ROI. Correct. Right? So they're like, oh my God, we made 15 grand in sales online this month. Amazing. So if we're charging 10 or 15 or 20% of that, they don't bat an eyelid. Mm. It's like, well, these are sales we wouldn't have had without this campaign. Direct correlation. Amazing. But for those that really, and this is like, it's, I hope, you know, this other marketing people listening to this, so we don't have to worry about clients listening to it. It's boring (laughs) for them. But unfortunately, I think a lot of the time clients come to you, they're like, I want magic to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm spending 20 grand and I want sales through the roof or I want everyone to know about me. And I would, but marketing isn't the only thing that they should be doing. It's what about all that backstory before they came to us? Yeah. Why, why haven't they succeeded before they came to us for help? Yeah. But they don't want to look at all the other stuff, all the other, all the other things that led them to, to not being such a successful business. Operationally. And exactly. I think, I, I, I don't remember who I had this conversation with, but, you know, a lot of businesses don't look at the those fundamental things and go, what's customer feedback like? What's customer satisfaction like? How are we actually, what are our systems and processes like? Because they're all outcomes as well. Yep. And you can put a marketing band-aid on something and go, ta-da, this is going to fix it, but it, it won't. No, it won't. And there's no amount of money you can throw at it to make people want to buy a product or service if all those other operational things are wrong. Yep. You know, and customer experience, customer satisfaction, if you've got a thousand bad Google reviews... I mean, I wouldn't touch someone like that in no, anyway. But, but we're savvy. Yeah. It's really interesting. Not not that many people will actually go to Google reviews, particularly my age group. We don't go to we don't go to Google reviews to suss if a business is legit or worth going to, to be honest. We'll go to social. Mm. And it's interesting because like I was reading something the other day and it was talking about the connection between customer service and social media. During COVID. Why do I keep bringing up COVID? Well, during COVID, because it was a different time, right? Social media teams were full on to it because they knew they had to be because that was the only touch point with the customer. Now, customer satisfaction is down something like 75% through social yep. because people have gone, well, we're back to normal. I don't need to be as active on social, you know, replying to queries and things like that. They can just go through our, you know, our inquiry button on the website. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's, um, I was reading some article on trends, marketing trends, for, mm. you know, post-COVID. And so many people have gone back to actually dialing 
to speak to a real person. That's what they want. Because they do. They want that personal experience because companies don't respond to DMs or they don't respond immediately to a Facebook comment. And what customers don't realise is that a lot of the time the clients are not responding at all. It's the ad agency. Or I was just about to say, yeah. You know, and we can't be online 24-7 unless we've got bots set up, which in many cases you do that clients get pissed off with, um, customers get pissed off about anyway because it's not a real answer. So they do, they are. There's a massive increase in in people picking up the phone and actually speaking to somebody, which I think is really promising for employment. Like You do need real people on the other end of that line. So that's what makes me sad. You know, we saw during COVID as well, getting rid of shop assistants. Yeah. That was my first job. Mine too. And it was like, it's a rite of passage. You have to be a checkout chick. Absolutely. <laughs> you learn to make small talk. You know, you when learn... you're a kid, you have that, you know, this fake shop thing. Like, it would be fun. Yeah. But it is amazing. If you have a job like that, it speaks volumes for your personal character because you do learn how to communicate. You do learn how to smile and, you know, be happy and provide that unique customer service that people expect. There's not so much of it now. No, and that's what I worry. I, I do worry about that because I do think when we've been stuck behind screens for how many years and we're, we are seeing a huge shift in people actually opting for zero screen time. All of my interns that come through, so we've got a, a beautiful partnership with UniSA and um, their interns is one today. Talia's with us today. Part of their job with me on 30-day placement or 45, whatever they do, is to pick up the phone and actually speak to people. Love it. Because you need to learn. It strengthens your character and you're building rapport with people and you're face-to-face. You know, it's, it's so important and I think there's a, so much of it that's just not there anymore today. Customer services are fundamental and whether you're working in-house, you've got to have relationships with your suppliers. Yeah. Or whether you work for an agency, you've got to have relationships with your clients and also other suppliers. Sometimes it's so much easier to pick up the phone and ask a question than it is to go back and forth with email. Can you change this? Get it back. It's wrong. Can you change this? Pick up the phone. What do you actually mean? Just tell me what it is you're after and I'll get it done. Yeah. Have a conversation. Yeah. Agreed. But there's that meme where it's like, why would I answer the phone when I can just watch it ring? Or I'll Google the number that rang me. Yeah. So I have Zoom meeting with a, a, a weekly standing Zoom meeting with somebody at, at the moment and they choose to make it a Zoom, but they're never on camera. So I'm like, well, why aren't we just having a phone conversation instead? What's the point? Of it? That makes no sense. And I'm sure the quality is crap too. Yeah, I know. But anyway, you know, it is what it is. And I think it was since COVID, everything that could actually be a phone conversation has become a Zoom meeting as well. I think the number of meetings has increased significantly. Yeah, Meetings great. about meetings about meetings. Mm-hmm. And then when do we actually get the work done? <laughs> like, yeah. let's just have a whip. Let's get some deliverables and then we'll reconvene when the work's done Yeah, and discuss if, if there's anything that needs to be adjusted. Yeah, so true. Because Zoom's so are draining. True. As well as everything else that goes along with it now. So whether you're using Slack or whether you're using whatever the connected... Oh, I hate um, Slack. Do you? So I like Slack. I find it quite invasive. I think for me from a project management and I think more from like a mindfulness point of view, I find that when something comes through Slack, I'm very reactive. Maybe it's just me as a person. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, i got to deal with it right now. Whereas if they put it into an email and be like, cool, these are the five things I need from you rather than Slack, 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 Slack. I don't feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah um, and maybe I sense. can prioritize it a little bit more. Whereas I feel like maybe it's from previous experiences in past workplaces, I found it, yeah, I found that some people abuse the power of Slack mm. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It depends how you kind of set the expectation. Yeah, so true. I've got I've got a huge uh, anxiety with my email inbox <laughs> every day, but I do normally get maybe 80 to 120 emails a day. And, and what's your approach? How do you manage your inbox? 
It's a work in progress. But mm-hmm. I've got multiple, multiple side folders that I don't... When the task is done, it goes into the Slide side me. folder. You yeah. do the same yeah. under each client. Yeah. But I find, I thought, I wonder how often I'll go back and look in that folder and it's never... I never, ever go back and find that email. So I make sure the job's done, it's filed away and never have to revisit it, really. No? No. If there's anything ongoing, it goes on the whip. So then it's always there. Ah. Uh. Otherwise, filed away. But what I found, I, I had um, went away with my husband for our 20-year anniversary a couple of months ago. Less. I know. It was nice. It was four days, no phone service. It was incredible. Isn't it funny we actually, like, want that now? Yeah. <laughs> Don't contact me. <laughs> Sorry. On the plane, on the way there, I cleared my inbox and it was oh. so therapeutic. You could walk away knowing? It was empty. Yeah. I mean, I had I had three or four things in there that I had to keep in there. But since that point, I've actually made a conscious effort every week to clear it out. Whatever is done or finished is filed away. And my mental clarity is so much better for it. It really is. Yeah, I think it is a mental thing and being able to start the week knowing, cool, these are the only three or four outstanding things. There's always going to be something outstanding. You can never have everything ticked off. But being able to get into the week with that. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, Monday's always chaotic, but... (laughs) That's the other thing. I start my week now, work from home on a Monday. The rest of the week is in the office, but I find it easing into the week. Doing things that I find I get more balanced now because it's such a chaotic industry, right? It's nuts. It never stops. It's always... You know, it's always something, always stressful, always highly strung, always anxious, always thinking, "Oh my god, did that run? Did that? Whatever's happening, there's always something on." But I've found more work-life balance now by doing little things like cleaning out my inbox, by working at home on a Monday, you know, and keeping that day to myself. Of right, I'll do some Zoom meetings. I have to, but other than that, Monday's kind of I pick up my kids from school, which yeah. is only once a week, but it's that's your day. It's my day. You know, those little things that make it easier. So how have you built your team, I guess, to ideally get to this place? And what kind of people do you look for? So I didn't ever realise I was going to build a team and have a big agency. It just kind of was one of those things that really just happened. Yep, I Um, get it. (laughs) Yeah, right. So I look for people. I look for personality. As we were saying just before we started recording, I don't actually look to see if you're qualified or not qualified on, on the resume. It's, you know... Yes, in many cases, it's a bit of a prerequisite or you, you probably feel like you, well, you want people that have studied in some capacity in the field they're applying for, of course. Mm. But whether they've graduated or not from this degree, I couldn't care less because it comes down to the kind of person you are. And you can tell immediately what kind of person somebody is, their personality, how they hold themselves, how they, you know, eye how contact, they communicate. how they communicate with you, whether they're actually passionate about what they're talking about, whether I had one girl who was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. I cannot wait to just get my teeth, you know, sunk in and, and get started and start learning. And I'm like, wow, you're amazing. And that energy is contagious, right? And it's, it's so good for morale, particularly when you're growing a team. And I look at, you know, how they are with me is how they're going to actually also talk to our clients for. And you want somebody who can be client-facing. That's a massive thing for me. If I, somebody wants a job and they're brilliant at what they do, but they have no communication skills and I couldn't pass them or send them out to a client meeting without me being there. I'm like, well, I can't do that. I, yeah. I need somebody who is brilliant at what they can do, but it's also brilliant at client-facing and, and can build rapport easily and or can go to a photo shoot and doesn't need me there, you know, looking over the back of them. And not everyone can do all those things, but you do look for people that have got that. It, it is that, I hate it, it's a wanky term, but that X factor, they've yeah. got just that something extra. No, I don't, I don't think it's wanky. I think like it's... You just pick up the vibes. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that is subjective. Your idea of that might be different to my idea of that. But when you meet someone and you just get that gut feeling, you have to trust that. 
um, whether or not they've graduated from uni or you can have a piece of paper. Cool. Mm. But exactly like you said, you know, if I can't trust you, particularly in an agency setting, you can't just sit behind a computer. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. It's This industry is not, I mean, there are some agencies that do just that, right? That is just completely digital behind a computer. It's like you don't exist. You don't and there's one account exist. manager. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, advertised for another ad agency in Sydney. They asked us to do their marketing, which in itself was like, what? Yeah, I, I love right? when that happens. Oh, isn't it funny? It's crazy. And it was fun. It was really fun. Anyway, so of course we said, yes, we'd love to work on this for you. And brilliant people, brilliant people. But there were no face-to-face anything. They don't have any face-to-face meetings with their clients. They don't have any face-to-face with us. It was all very much their skill set was behind I just pump it out. the screen. They pump it out and, and it worked for them, you know. It's great. Yeah. Sometimes you wish you could have more like that. I think it's nice having the balance. Like yeah. obviously, you know, it comes down to trust and you want your clients to trust you and not to micromanage because you shouldn't be micromanaging. Um, but again, people crave connection. People do. And I think this is a, this is another big learning curve. I think it's so important to keep in contact with these clients at least once a month. Have a monthly marketing meeting because you go three or four or five months and sometimes it's easy because you're like, oh, they're easy. I don't need to worry. They're happy with what I'm doing. And we just keep pumping out a monthly report and you're done. All of a sudden, you realize you haven't spoken to them or seen them for six months and there's somebody else knocking on their door. Correct. Going, who's looking after your social? It's like, oh yeah, Nat is, but I haven't really heard from them lately. Yep. You know? It's all it takes. It's all it takes. And they can undercut you maybe 50 bucks a month and, you know, Bye. be there and come and buy their coffees or whatever from there and, you know, pop in and off you go. It's all so it takes. It is. So it's really important. The more work you take on, the less time you have to keep the relationship going with the particular clients you do, but it's so important. It's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I think as an agency owner, that's like our role to, to keep those relationships. And I think, you know, it is hard and it is, I mean, I, I personally can't do more than three meetings a day, mm. face-to-face in particular. I, I'm i like an introverted extrovert. It's me. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's really hard to describe. Like I come across so out there and bold and here we are doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> but I am quite introverted and I like my quiet time and I like mm. my me time. And sometimes I have to really psych myself up. You do because I think as, you know, you're a very bubbly, friendly person person by nature and I am too but it's exhausting yeah because the clients do expect in every time the client and I am genuinely happy when they do call me or when I do see them but you've got to be on all the time like hey how are you how's how's things what's going on and how good your campaign is and do we see these results and yeah it's a lot and Mm -hmm. it is mentally draining exhausting so when I get home I really shut I shut down I shut off try to a lot I don't want to hear if I listen to an ad that we've done, it's like, oh, oh if it, you know, I don't want to. I just want to shut down and shut off completely. And I kind of put my phone like this because I even my girlfriend rings. If she rings me in the morning on the way to work, great. I want to chat. But if you ring me after six, I'm, like, I'm exactly no. the same. Yeah. Yep. I'm exactly the same. If you get me in the morning, I'm probably still at my, yep, happy to talk to you. But by, yeah. <laughs> by six o'clock, no more talking. No, no more talking. Too much. Especially if I've done a podcast that day. But I think it's as well like knowing when you operate at your best. Mm. And I think I've had this conversation with a few guests as well, knowing how to actually harness your creativity because we are not creative all the time. No, no, it's It's, true. it's physically impossible. I try to get up a couple of hours earlier, um, at least two two times a week. So I'll do a 5 a.m. I'm a nana now. Like I go to bed at about 10, 10.30 is like a late night for me these days. <laughs> right? So I do, I wake up earlier because, you know, 5 till 6.30 no one's awake, no one's up. There's no responses back to emails mm. either. So 
pushing this work out that I know I need to get done. And then I can come into the office from nine or whatever, from, you know, 8.30, quarter to nine, knowing my day's set. Yeah. I've done that work in my own time. It's been peaceful. I've ticked off what I needed to. So a couple of times a week I do that. I think that's really important. And then a couple of nights a week I will stay up till midnight or or one o'clock doing stuff that I didn't get to do during the day because we've had meetings or we've had, you know, whatever else going on. It's the nature of the beast, isn't it? It is. How did you really start to, I guess, build the confidence in your team to start handing over things and how did you educate your clients on what that was going to look like? It's tricky and it's still hard to do today. To this day, it's still hard to do. But Everyone wants a piece of nap. It comes down to, well, you know, I was speaking to somebody about this yesterday because they're not commissioning Mercy Me, they're commissioning me. 100%. Or you. Yeah. They they come, the business comes to you because of you Mm -hmm. and your experience and the clients that you looked after and it's word of mouth. Every client that I get is referral from somebody like, oh, call Nat. Nat will be able to help you. Nat helps us. But Little did they know, actually, it's not me. It's my team that's doing this work for you. I'm overseeing it, but I can't physically do it all. Yeah. Um. So it's really tough. It's really tough. So it's a, you know, a, a light to say it's a work in progress. It really is. Like, I, I'm I'm better now at telling clients. So we, we put on a new client last week, and I made it very clear from the start that it wouldn't be me looking after the account. I said, I'm traveling a lot more now for work. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be available um, as often as I would have been prior. But I've got this amazing team member who will look after you. And she's actually got more experience in in your space than I do anyway. And um, let's have a meeting and you can meet her and I'm sure you'll be really happy. But if you ever need anything or you're not happy, you just call me direct. I'll always answer. Correct. You, we become an escalation point. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's also really empowering for your team to show them that, hey, I trust you. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think, you know, there's some part, some members of the team that are new and still need that guidance and that support and need to kind of have me, you know, by their side and say, this looks great, but how about this? Yeah. But then there's those that, you know, that have been there that you can trust and that actually perform better with little to no supervision. And if they want my opinion, they'll ask. Exactly right. And and again, it's a creative thing. Sometimes we need a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. Like how many times have you looked at something and you're like, oh my God, I can't even look at this anymore. You know, you yeah. don't want to listen to the same ad anymore. We, yeah. we get over it. Totally. Totally. And I think, you know, having somebody's perspective, I would do things, I do things a particular way. I've got a particular tone of voice for each different client. But, you know, somebody else looking at it, like, what a cool idea. I never would have thought of doing it yeah. that way. Because sometimes you're too close. Yeah, exactly. So it's great. And I think, you know, putting... Some I've I've worked with a business mentor now and I have for the last three or four years, I think, which I never thought I'd do, but turns out best. to be one of the best things I've ever done. He said something to me about not being able to, you want your staff to be able to do better than you, know more than you, you know. I can't remember the exact way he put it, but it was it was basically if they are achieving more or knowing more or or, you know, outputting more in a better way than you were then you've achieved what you, this it's a is win. business, you know, this is a win for your business because you don't want to have to be everything. You want to be able to have that holiday in Bali, right? In a couple of months time, you want to be able to have a Christmas break or turn off your phone for four days if you're going to go away yeah. and know that things aren't going to melt down yep. because you've given them the trust to be able to do and shine where they can, yep. which is good. I think the hard the hard thing is like, yes, you want you want the ability to have the break, I find particularly with social and digital, I feel like I'm going to miss something. It's not like FOMO in the sense of like, oh, my friends went and did this. It's like, am I going to miss a trend? Am I going to miss, you know, something in pop culture, like the whole Balenciaga thing? I need to be on that. 
Yeah. I need to be seen. I need to know those things. If yeah. I turn off my phone for a couple of days, am I going to miss my catastrophic and then be, but then I also on the flip side go, well, you know what? My, my team can actually feed me that information if I need to know it. Yeah, exactly. I think you can't be across everything all the time. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, well, I hire younger people right, than I am because I want them to be on, I don't want to be on top of it all anymore. I, I, don't tell me that, you know, don't ask me about some TikTok trend because I'm not interested, even though my daughter's just got me on to Be Real, which they're mortified with because I oh, hate Be Real. See, I like it. It gives me anxiety. Does it really? It's, it's really funny. So like TikTok gives me anxiety as well, but in the, on the flip side, I actually find it. I love how I love the algorithm. It's so weird, and yeah. the way that it curates your for you page. Yeah, um, you know, you can go from seeing a video that's had a million views, and the next video has had three. Mm-hmm. How did you determine what to show me? But be real. When the notifications go off, I'm like, oh, get out of my face! Like it's too much. <laughs> and I feel pressure. But you have a break. Yeah, have to do it. yeah. I know. I find I I love the fact that it is much more authentic than anything else. It's not this perfectly curated kind of mm. feed that you're seeing either. It's, you know, they want people, I love the concept behind it, that it is whatever you're doing right now at this point, take a photo of it yep. and share it with your friends. It's cool. It's bringing it back to... I think this. what stories were meant to be. Exactly. You know? Yeah, well, you know, we talk about the whole curated feed and I'm really glad you, you brought that up because, yes, we have moved away from that and the consumer has begged brands for authenticity. It comes down to what you're trying to portray, right? And I, I mean, you probably say this to your clients, I certainly do. You don't have to have it curated and you'll probably find that most of your posts that do well are the ones that are probably taken on an iPhone and they're pretty ugly, mm-hmm. but they've got a person in them. Yep. Yeah. So you need to think about what are your goals here? What are you actually trying to achieve? And I think this is where maybe some of the less experienced social media marketers in particular, I guess, miss the opportunity. If you aren't looking at the data, if you aren't looking at your objectives and trying to work out what are we trying to achieve by actually being on social media, it's not just a pretty grid. That is not that is not an objective. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's, you know, we do a monthly reporting with all the analytics on socials for our clients every month. And it's it's amazing because we do these high, these professional photo shoots for everyone all the time, right? As you do now, it's just expected. Yeah. Like it's part of part of what we do. But 90% of the time, an iPhone pick, snap, or a repost from somebody else, you know, we'll, do is, we'll always do better. Always do better in engagement. It might not do better in terms of, you know, a sale. Yeah. But engagement will skyrocket. The engagement of something we shared the other day for one of our clients, it reached 11,000 people organically and the post after it that was a professional shot reached 900 people. Yeah, see. Right? And that was just within the space of seven, eight hours apart. Yeah, and I know any, any post... It doesn't really matter, but 11K versus 900. Big difference. Big difference. Huge difference. And it was just a, a you know, a iPhone pick with somebody in there, as you said. And that's yeah. all it takes. And so trying to tell that to the clients, who, especially the ones who, God help me, think that the ones that have been appointed to be, you know, a bit of a, a marketing yeah. person, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, the profile grid needs to be bang on, it needs to be perfect, it needs to be beautiful and the colour scheme's got to all go perfectly and brilliant, right? I think amazing. If you're a huge brand, if you're a big brand, a big player and... And that's your objective. That's your objective. (laughs) Go for it. Yeah, and that's part of your big picture strategy. Exactly. And if you're a family-owned South Australian business that might be a national, on a national level, a national scale or building up to that, incredible. That's amazing. But having this beautifully curated, colour-schemed grid is not really going to achieve 
your goals. If you want your goals to be people going to your website, you want people to interact, you want community engagement, you're not going to get that by doing this. Listen to us because we've got 35 or 40 different clients across multiple industries that we post for every single day. So we see. We see it. We can tell you what will work and what won't work. And it's not looking beautiful, but you're getting the engagement of the people that are following you at actually engaging in your posts, which is what you want. And yeah. you're staying top of mind. Then why wouldn't you? Well, and that's the thing. And I think, you know, educating your clients on what we're actually looking at from, from a metrics point of view. But the problem is now because social media is this, I guess, this beast that no one's really been educated about. You, you, you know, like I said, we're not governed you there's no benchmarks you can't go and get a social media degree mm. everyone knows everything about it so what i think and what you think could be totally different doesn't mean that one of us is wrong we just have a different point of view and that's where it can get really challenging because you're constantly justifying why i'm doing this this way yeah yes you pay us as professionals to go back to you and say hey yeah we're working with you know 40 50 brands on different levels in different industries and we're seeing that this is good engagement, Absolutely. you need to trust us. Yep, definitely. But everyone wants this instant gratification from social and from digital. And this is where mm-hmm. my big question for you is, do you feel like the push in digital has made people not appreciate the big brand picture and the need to have other touch points? Because for me, when I work with a business that is investing in maybe it's radio or they do have a print campaign or you know they're doing a big PR, traditional PR push we see the impact of that holistically. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought it up because it's true. I, I'm a huge, and because of my 20-something years experience in, well, what was it, maybe 15 years experience before digital became a thing, maybe a bit less, I'm making myself sound quite old. <laughs> I see the massive benefit of it. Before digital, clients, we had massively successful campaigns based on the only media and advertising that was available at the time, which yep. was traditional print, TV, radio, billboards, leaflet drops, magnets, magazines, all never that. Never underestimate of stuff. it. Don't, never, ever underestimate it. And if you look back on stats, the most recent research done in um, the US, it will still show you that a third of all ad spend is still being placed in traditional marketing. So, or something like that. Don't, wow. don't quite learn it exactly, but it's a lot. It's a huge amount. And the biggest players are people like Amazon who's, you know, the world's largest online store. Yeah. Online, they need TV. And God, they're quick. (laughs) eBay still do huge ad campaigns. Look at the Super Bowl. Look at the people that still advertise through the Super Bowl. And they're iconic. Iconic. People hang. I only watch it for the ads. Yeah, absolutely. So do I. And the halftime concert. Yeah, I mean, J-Lo. But there is still such a strong place for it and there's more more of a place for it now because of the fact that people are getting sick of being stalked on digital. So you look at all the programmatic and the personalised feeds that are coming up, say, hey, Nat, we know you bought these shoes. How about this and another colour? Where's the line? Exactly. And so we're, we're very much to blame because we have all this technology at our fingertips now that we're saying to our clients, why don't you do this campaign? Well, we've got this, you know, incredible retention customer strategy that we can implement through your Shopify website. Let's do it. We know when they're going to finish their bottle because they bought it 60 days ago. If they drink even one every two days. You do the maths. Exactly. Yeah. So let's send it to them again at a 15% discount saying, hey, we know you love that one. And how about, you know, it's weird to blame. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's incredible what we, what data we can draw and what analytics, you know, what campaigns we can create now, but the consumer is getting very sick of it. Mm. So they don't want 
the programmatic feeds coming up anymore, their personalised kind of ads or, or, you know, emails telling them that they're running slow on certain stock. Go away. Let me... I'll buy it when I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. And that, yep. and this is why the um, traditional media is still very, very strong and it's actually increased since COVID, not decreased, in terms of what people are spending and what companies are doing on traditional. There's such a huge place for it and I'm, I'm really passionate about it, as you can tell, but... Um, a lot of our clients realise that if you're on TV or if you're on radio, that credibility builds and it's always exactly been that Exactly right. Yep. But that's where I think there's that big gap. So, you know, we, we, I talked about before, the gap between social, great and average isn't so big anymore. I think with traditional, you see the ones that are on it versus everybody else. Mm-hmm. That is a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And it is. It is it's, that, it's that trust building. It is. If I see, if I see a business in a bus shelter... I automatically go, they're committed to marketing. Yeah. Now, maybe that's just my marketing brain, but I think I think general consumers do as well. They go, I see them everywhere. You can, anyone can create a business. Anyone can buy 50,000 followers and, you know, get a Fiverr logo made for them, create an e-com shop, right? It's, it's, it's actually, technology is in the way now that it, even if you have no marketing experience whatsoever, with a couple of bucks and a few contacts, you can actually yeah, create totally. something, right? And think, look at this company I built. But the consumer's not going to automatically trust that, you know? And and it's there's um, search engines which will show you how many fake followers somebody's got as well. Like, we know that. Oh, Everyone it's so knows. obvious it's now. It's so obvious. You can even buy verification ticks now. Yeah, there you go. All of that. But if you're on TV or you're on radio or you're in the press you know, it reflects, it's a brand. It's a brand builder. And that's what we always say. You might not get instant ROI, but it's definitely, um, you know, it, it does so much more for your brand building than what any digital presence can do. It's a long-term approach. And it's got to be a holistic approach. I think any campaign that we do for our clients, a 12-month strategy always includes not social. Socials are a given, right? Boosted ads are a given. Ecom, depending on what platform you use, you know, we've got all of that kind of back-end campaign stuff that's a given that we're going to be doing through the through the year. But we'll always combine it with some sort of traditional media. Leaflet drops have still got such Oh, I love them. Aren't they great? Love They're them. Great. Give me all the junk mail. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that's my real estate background, but love, love junk mail. And for the cost of them, it's incredible. You're getting right into the homeowner's place and you can measure it like you can put a different phone number on there if you want or you can do like the tear off yeah the tear off coupons which you know depending on the demographic I mean you and I probably would never use something like that no I'm probably a little bit lazy to be honest but if you're targeting let's say the 65 the more discerning customer or the pensioners even high disposable income kind of pensioners that a lot of them aren't on social media they do want that traditional thing and they've got the most disposable income. If you're selling something that they're seeing there rather than on social, you've got a much higher conversion rate opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a place absolutely for everything. I mean, we did like a a stick on magnet for one of our clients and we had so much fun doing it because Love it. We, we did a calendar for 12 months on this magnet, right? And it went out, it was targeting this this retiree group of, of audience and well, they're going to have this on their fridge all year. Because yeah. it's got your calendar on there with your face and your phone number. Yep. So, that was the best thing I ever did when I was in yeah. real estate. Yeah. I told that I told that story on um episode with Heidi Jenkins. Mm-hmm. That was the best thing I ever did. Did you do a magnet of yourself? Did a magnet. I put it in an envelope and it had a competition to go on the draw at Christmas time to win an iPad mini. Yeah. Take a photo of your magnet on the on your fridge, text it to me with your address. 
I then cross-matched it with my database to see if you were a tenant or a homeowner. And then I picked a winner. My database was 98% clean. Brilliant. But again, this is where as well, and Heidi and I talked about this too, it's all well and good to do those campaigns, but how are you collecting the data? Yeah. And I think that's sometimes where the disconnect between um, some traditional people aren't actually investing the time to go, hey, we actually need to now dissect this. Yeah, I think so. I think traditional definitely hasn't got as much of a um, measurable result no. as what we do now. We've got we've got data and analytics at our, at our fingertips now. Yeah. It's incredible what we can get. But I think with traditional, you have to work a whole lot harder to choose who that target market is and to be more creative. Correct. In your How are you going to stand out? Yeah, exactly right. So in a in a, um, a newspaper article, you know, if you're taking out a full page. I say to the clients, let's do three quarters image and just a quarter, even less of copy. Yeah. If you're reading, if people that are reading a newspaper come across this amazing, huge image and very small text, they want to stop. They want to read more. It's it's that simple Disruptive. stuff, right? It is. It's simple. Always trying to get the right hand page, all that kind of stuff. Or what are we, how are we measuring it? Do we do a QR code? I mean, God bless COVID for QR codes. I know we hate them, but we love to hate them because it has made our job so much easier. What are we linking it to? Completely trackable. Yeah. I did have to laugh though. I got sent a, um, I got sent a social tile from a client and they asked us to post it. Had a QR code on it. Right. How can I scan a QR code if I'm already on my phone? Yeah. Yeah. So somebody else's phone to scan your phone. Yeah. It makes no sense. No. But we could have still used a UTM or something. Yeah. Like again. Yeah. I have to wrap this up, but honestly, I could talk about traditional with you because for someone who's digital savvy, I'm a big, big, big believer. Um, you know, even again, in my t- during my time in real estate, the paper, you weren't a real estate agent if you weren't in the paper. Mm. It was purely for us for branding. It had nothing to do with the property. You're not going to find your buyer. Um, but, you know, even now, I'm the person that looks at TV ads. I pay attention to radio ads. I, I love that. I love to hear um, that. And I do, I do love the connection when, you know, you, you see something on social, but then you see that and everything connects. Yeah, it's a synergy. I think it's brilliant. And, yeah, absolutely still a place for it. So thank you for listening. Loved it. I want to, in closing, I do want to ask you, what do you wish you knew 10 years ago? Oh, my God. I wish I knew 10 years ago how to say no. I do. I wish I knew how to say, and I wish I knew when to say no, when to say no. And, and you know, your gut feeling is something that you probably don't appreciate much until you're kind of at the age you're at now, right? Where now I listen to my gut, I'm like, oh, that's not right. Or, yeah. no, I'm not taking that on. Back then, I said yes to everything because I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was if there was a something I even knew wasn't going to work, I was too shy or nervous or scared to actually voice my opinion. I mean, ten years ago, was I still working for someone? Else? I think so. Just trust your own intuition. I think, and and know that you know more. Know that I know more than what the person sitting in front of me does. They've commissioned me and hired me to do this for them. If it's not going to work, I need to be completely honest with you. I don't think this is going to work. Speak up. Yeah, 100%. So I don't have no issue at doing that now, but... Good. (laughs) Natalie, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, great insight. Please, if you haven't already, join the Facebook group, DigiTalks. Any questions for myself or Nat? I think this is a great one, again, learning about, you know, what you can be doing to make yourself stand out from an employer perspective as well. Any questions, again, or ideas for future episodes, please don't hesitate. Until next time.